Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of spiritual warfare. Today's program is a continuation of the previous program where I was talking about the views that people have concerning God. People have a perspective when they think of who God might be. What does it mean to be God? People have different views about that, but there are some consistencies. In the previous program, I mentioned that, for the most part, people view God as someone who gives them stuff. He's the kind of God who just simply provides people with possessions. If you have a need for something, and you're certainly not able to obtain it yourself, make an appeal to God, and perhaps he might respond and deliver whatever it is that you're asking for. Protection is another subject, it's another issue that people have an interest in, and people will take the position that their God exists for the purpose of providing them with protection, that that's what they have a God for. He's there to provide them with stuff, he's there to provide them with protection, and that he has a place in the kingdom of heaven above the stars that he dwells in, and every once in a while he decides to reveal himself in some simple ways that we can perhaps understand, but for the most part, he kind of keeps his distance from us, that this is a view that people have. And I was explaining that this was the view that Satan had of God, the way that he communicated to God, the way that he proclaimed that he wanted to be like the Most High, that these were descriptions that he used in order to describe what he would accomplish or how he would define his accomplishment in the event that he became like God. And so in this program, I would like to continue with this theme, but I would like to address it from the point of view of the law, because when it comes to the subject of spiritual warfare, the law is very critical when it comes to this issue, when it comes to this subject, because the law is used in the war in many profound ways. So in this program, I'm going to talk about it from that point of view, to stay consistent with the theme that I presented in the previous program, one way that we can perceive God is we can perceive him as a lawgiver. He has described himself in that way. It's perfectly reasonable that he is someone who dispenses laws, and he also enforces those laws. But it's helpful to understand that our God is one who does present laws, who does define what is good and evil, And so if this is the case, and of course, if we take the position that Satan wants to be like God, then we should expect, to a certain degree, that Satan would also be participating in the dispensing of, in the giving of, laws. This is exactly how Satan presented himself to Adam and Eve in the garden. He presented himself as a lawgiver, in that sense, speaking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. At that time, Adam and Eve did not have exposure to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They seemed to have a limitation concerning what they knew and understood about what good and evil was. In other words, they did not have a set of laws that they could refer to 
in order to say that something is evil, something is not evil, outside of the fact that God gave the commandment, don't eat from that tree. So when Satan came to Adam and Eve, the subject of good and evil, the laws related to good and evil, were new. They had never encountered those before. They had no exposure to those before, or at least that's how I read the passages in Genesis relevant to this, that this appears to be the case at this time in history. When the devil approaches Eve to speak with Eve about the subject of the tree in the garden, he presents the idea that there was something that she did not know. And if she were to know that, then she could be like God. And that he was the one who was going to assist or provide accessibility to this knowledge of good and evil. Now, in this way, he could present himself as a lawgiver. And as I explained in a previous program, he certainly would not be very original when it comes to presenting these laws because he is not the one who defined what is good or what is evil. The living God, the Most High God, had already defined those laws. He already provided the definitions concerning what was good and what was evil. So the devil was just simply conveying something that was already in existence that God had created. So I don't think he was taking the position that he was the originator of these laws and that that was what made him like the Most High. I believe he was taking the position of being the dispenser, being the one who reveals what those laws are, the one who shares, the one who conveys, the one who gives insights, the one who leads in that abstract sense, and that that would be his contribution in order to be God to Eve and also to Adam. So the law can be viewed from that perspective, from that point of view, in which case if Satan succeeds in finding someone that he can dispense laws to, then he might take the position that he is like the Most High. Would he be declaring a true victory, though? Would he really be like the Most High? Certainly not. Just because you dispense laws does not make you God. Even if you were to invent some new laws, that still would not make you God. It would not make you like the Most High. That is not how he defines what makes him the Most High. Certainly, he provided us with the knowledge of good and evil. He provided us with laws. But does he really assert himself as the Most High because he is the one who has done this? Is that really what establishes his identity? Is that what really establishes his value, his credibility as our God? While he performs that function, while he does provide us with a definition of truth and error, what is good, what is evil, I don't believe that that is how he would really want to be defined that he would really want to be defined in that way. At the end of the previous program, I explained that there is something more that I believe our God wants. He wants a relationship with us. You know, the relationship that he had with Adam and Eve was outside of the law. Considering that, do you think that they had no relationship at all? I mean, certainly they did. They had a sound, healthy relationship with each other outside of the law. So if that's the case, then why would it be so difficult to consider that being a lawgiver is not necessarily a priority to our God? That maybe there are other things. For example, consider what he did with Adam. With Adam, he named the animals. 
God created the animals. He brought the animals over to Adam and said, Adam, I'd like you to name the animals. Adam participated. He certainly could not create the animals, but he could name them. They did something together. Do they need a law for that? Do they need a definition of what is good and evil when it comes to just simply naming the animals? My point in saying this is to try to make it clear that you can live your life without being so preoccupied with the knowledge of good and evil, that there is a way of living that can be outside of that, and this is just a simple example concerning that. I really do believe a lot more could be said about this, so I'm going to ask you to consider asking the Lord to give you some insights concerning this. How can a person live outside of the law? Do they really need to have the law? They can live outside of it. I really do believe that, that it's not necessary And I can use the example in the Garden of Eden just to initiate the topic. Now, when the Lord provided the law in the Garden of Eden, the law with regards to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Lord provided the law and he said, In the day that you eat from that tree, in that day you're dead, in that day you will surely die. He provided the commandment and he provided the penalty. Now, it was the devil who took advantage of that. He took advantage of the law that God gave in order to begin to accomplish several purposes that I believe he had in mind. I explained this in the earlier programs in this series, and so I would like to try to avoid duplicating that content. I'm simply going to summarize by saying that it was through the law that the devil was able to obtain us. He was able to obtain us for his purposes in order to use us in the way that he would like. And I gave an example concerning the image of God, that when God created humanity, he created us to be a reflection of who he is. That is the proper definition of that word that is translated as image. The image of God was a description of us being a reflection of who he is, and so that when people would see us, or perhaps other beings that he might create, would see us, they would see a physical, visible, audible representation, to a certain extent, of who the living God truly is. It would be an opportunity for him to manifest himself within and through us, so that there might be a revelation concerning who he is. Now, I certainly do not believe that that is the only reason why he created us, It is just one reason. It is one description in a collection of descriptions with regards to why he created us at all. But when you consider the relationship that Adam and Eve had with their God to the extent that he was able to manifest himself within and through them, this would, in my opinion, be a temptation for the devil, such that the devil would see us as an opportunity for him to reveal and reflect his image, reveal and reflect his character. But in order to accomplish that, it appears that it was necessary for him to have us killed. We would have to be killed in order for him to be able to use us in the way that he wanted to use us. He used the law that God gave in order to tempt Adam and Eve to eat from the wrong tree so that they died. They died spiritually. The Spirit of God that was breathed within them was withdrawn and so that they were dead to their God, because they no longer had the life of God dwelling within them. This would then make them available 
to Satan so that he might have better access to them. He might be able to work with them and live within and through them to an extent where he would be able to reflect himself within and through the people who God created. Now, of course, God did not create us for this purpose, and so the devil has been using humanity for a purpose and in a way that God never intended. And as a result, he has been destroying us. Now, what I would like to say concerning this destruction is that the devil seems to be okay with this destruction. It appears that he finds this to be an acceptable loss. Our destruction is an acceptable loss to him because he is still able to obtain the belief or the perception that he is like the Most High through using us. Now, of course, this can result in a life of despair, a life of pain for us, but for him, he gets to take advantage of the situation and use us in order to accomplish his purposes. I personally believe that he has no real true interest in us outside of that. I don't think he has any interest in us at all and that it does not bother him at all that we may suffer, that we may experience the pain and the destruction that is experienced in our lives because of his interaction and influence with us. In many ways, there seems to be the appearance that our physical death that eventually occurs is perhaps to his advantage in the sense that if we were to live a lot longer, we might have a greater chance to get exposed to the truth that he has been deceiving us. And so if we can die before we discover that he has been deceiving us, well, then he has accomplished even more, because we'll never be able to testify to anyone else who might remain, and there will be others who will remain. We might be able to testify something to them that might set them free, and that would be a problem. We would be taking away the possession of Satan and his demons. We would be taking away from them opportunities for them to try to manifest themselves and be like God. But now, in the context of the law, the law was given by God and Satan used it for his own advantages, for his own purposes. Now, following through with this, the Lord continued to give more laws later on. He gave the laws through Moses, for example, 613 commandments through Moses, whereas the Lord presented a better definition, a clearer definition, concerning what is good and what is evil. Now, the law was given for a number of purposes. It was given in order to provide us with an opportunity to try and be like God, according to the message that the devil gave in the Garden of Eden. I mean, after all, if people are going to try to accomplish that, let's see if they can do it. The Lord provided the law so that we could try. As a result, we should eventually come to the point of recognizing that we are not going to succeed. And so if we are not going to succeed, then perhaps we will concede that there is no hope that we cannot achieve that and we can turn to him for an alternative. I believe that this is one of the reasons why he gave the law in order to accomplish that. He has provided a lot of information about his character, about who he is, that we can grow to understand through the study of the law. He has provided us with many prophetic inferences, prophetic descriptions through some of the laws that we can look at in order to see how he accomplished things in the future. One of my favorite examples concerning this are the laws of Passover. 
The laws of Passover were used by the Lord Jesus in order to reveal himself as the Messiah and in order to give us a better understanding concerning how he would accomplish the task of providing us with salvation. The law was also given in order to provide a number of foreshadowings in the sense that he has revealed many things to us through the law so that we can understand other concepts that he would like us to embrace. The Sabbath law, for example, in my opinion, is a very good example of a foreshadowing where the Sabbath law foreshadows the rest that we can experience in Christ from our works of righteousness because of the work that he performed on our behalf. But in this program, what I really need to focus on is the subject of the law as it relates to condemnation, that this was a purpose that God had in mind when giving the law in order to provide us with a means of being condemned. For example, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, it says, "...who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. In verse 9, he refers to the law as the ministry of condemnation the service of condemnation. There is a need for that. There is a need for condemnation in order to direct us to the grace and mercy of God. It's something that we should embrace. It's something that we should certainly appreciate. But there certainly are limitations. It's not going to accomplish all things. And this is an important thing to be able to distinguish, that the law was given for several reasons, but it was not given for other reasons. For example, consider the fall of humanity. The fall of humanity occurred because of the sin of Adam and Eve, and they became spiritually dead according to the law of sin and death. How is that life going to be restored? Is it going to be restored through the law? Certainly not. Consider Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, where it says, Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, Truly righteousness would have been by the law. If there was a law given that would have given life, what life? The life that was lost in Adam. Life that was lost in Adam. That was accomplished through the Messiah. That was given through the Messiah outside of the law. There was no law that was given to address that. The only law that was given was the law that was given in order to cause it, but not to provide a solution. So we must understand that the law was given for a number of reasons, and we should use the law for those purposes. But when we do not use the law for those purposes, we have a serious problem. If we are using the law for purposes that God never intended, then we are violating our God through the ways that we are utilizing the law. Now, the devil and his angels, the demons, they use the law. Consider Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, 
beginning in verse 13. In Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, it says, And you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. There in verse 13, you can see he says, He has made you alive together with him because he has forgiven you of all of your sins. First, he forgave all sin so that he can restore the Holy Spirit so that there is no sin that can cause the Holy Spirit to depart from us ever again. But continuing on into verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. How did he take the law away? He took it away through forgiveness. It was through forgiveness. It was through what he accomplished on the cross. The way this happened was very simple. The law demanded obedience or death. Obedience or a penalty. Well, there's no way that we could ever obey, so we were all cursed or condemned under the penalty. The Lord Jesus died for our sins in order to provide propitiation for our sins and so that the penalty has been resolved. So there is no longer any law that has not been fulfilled. All of the laws have been fulfilled in the sense that they demanded obedience or punishment, death, for example. The Lord Jesus obeyed on his behalf, but he died for the sins of the world in order to resolve the sins on our behalf. Through resolving the sin issue by bringing it to an end, there no longer is any law that will require any punishment. And when you have no punishment, you have no law. You just have a suggestion, perhaps, but you certainly don't have any law anymore. This is how the law has been taken away. It has been taken away so that we can now walk in the newness of life. We can now walk in the new covenant, which is a new way of life outside of the law. Now, a good question is, what is that? And I can't explain that in this program. I don't have time. I've explained that in many other programs. That's not the purpose of this one. The purpose of this one is to continue to verse 15. In verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He disarmed the principalities and powers. He disarmed them. How did he disarm them? By taking away their weapon. What was their weapon? Their weapon was the law. All of the laws were weapons that the devil was using, that the devil still might be using, and all of his principalities, all of his powers, all of the demons used the law as a weapon against us. For example, if he can condemn us, then he can show us that God doesn't like us, that God doesn't accept us. And I've given many examples concerning the consequences that will result if you do not believe that God loves you, that he accepts you, that he embraces you, that he doesn't hold your sins against you. Many consequences related to that. I've explained this in many other programs. But in this program, I just wanted to show you here in verse 15, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, that these are the weapons of the devil. It is the law that is the weapon of the devil. Again, there are many uses for the law, many reasons why the Lord gave the law, and we should certainly use the law for the purposes that he gave. 
when it comes to condemning people in order to lead them to Christ, absolutely. But after you have been saved, the law has been fulfilled, its purpose has been accomplished, and you as a believer must recognize that in your life the demons have been disarmed. Do not rearm them by giving them power over you and over your life by allowing yourself to be subjected to a life under law. But if you're not that familiar with the work that I have done, this can be quite frightening. The first reaction that most people give me when I present something like this without understanding the background behind it, the concerns behind it, and the consequences related to trying to live a life that you cannot, what people will say is, well then, what is going to restrain the flesh? How are we going to restrain our flesh? How are we going to keep from sinning if we don't live by the law? Well, to give you the short answer, it certainly isn't working for you now anyway, is it? Not if you're honest. Do you really believe that just because the law says don't do something, that that keeps you from doing it? Examine yourself. Examine your own life. And I believe that if you're honest about who you are, about what you do and what you don't do, then you will confess that the law in and of itself doesn't make you a good person. It doesn't do that. And that if you try to live a life that you cannot, it gets worse. The law stirs up sin. Consider the example that Paul gave. There are many ways that it stirs up sin, but just consider the one that he gave concerning coveting, the example that he gave, that he did not know what it was to covet until the law said, do not covet it, and it stirred up within him every covetous desire. It stirs up sin. It does not prevent sin, except out of some religious attitude where you believe that you have succeeded, but then there will be other sins that follow. No, there's no way to escape it. The devil told a lie. He said that you only need to know what is good and evil. By default, if you do that which is good, you will be good. You'll be a good person. You'll be who God created you to be. And if you know what is evil, you can avoid that. It's the same message of the devil. There is a way of life according to the new covenant that will certainly reduce sin. But this is not it. It is not according to the law. And if you subscribe to the lie of the devil... You will empower him and arm him to destroy you. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Amen.